This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 49. This is Writing Excuses, Customs, and Mores. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. I'm Ahatab. And customs and mores. Dan, you were an anthropology major (laughs) in college. Tell us what I'm what the word more means. A more is essentially a it's it's a manner of interacting in a culture. It is a specific thing that a the way a culture does something. So one of the ones that Brandon mentioned before we started was shaking hands. There are some cultures that greet each other by shaking hands. And there are some cultures that don't. And that's just a way in which we as a society have decided to say hello to each other and often goodbye. And it's different from society to society. And that can apply to essentially every form of interaction that we have. There's some kind of moray that governs how we do it. Let's um, start with some of our favorite kind of real world uh, mores or customs that uh, <laughs> seem stranger than fiction, just to kind of put ourselves on the right foot here. Okay. okay, go for it. I can start. I do not have to look further than India for <laughs> some of the most weirdest stuff That's I've seen. That's really far for us, but go on. <laughs> okay. Well, let me let me share it with you. One of them, and this one I do not like, but it's it's the way things are done. Widows, no matter what age they are. First of all, there, there used to be a lot of child marriage. And if for, and and. The kids used to be married to older men. And if the men died, um, the child was a widow. And there was no remarriage. And there is a beautiful movie called Water, which is made, uh, which has been uh, produced by Deepa Mehta, which just talks about a child widow who has to live um, on the banks of the River Ganges. And love is forbidden, any kind of, um, you know, comfortable amenities, they just have to live a really harsh life. So that I found is really weird to kind of give up your life. Whereas here, I mean, if a spouse passes on, you are allowed to find happiness. And that is not allowed in our custom. The other thing, which I just recently found out, it's called Timothy, which it's actually Timothy, which is a firewalking festival, which happens uh, just before uh, the Hindu New Year of uh, Diwali. And it the, it has its origins in the Mahabharata, which was the a war which was fought between uh, the Kauravas and the Pandavas. But basically, one of the groups um, insulted the wife of the other group. And to prove her innocence, she walked on coals and she emerged uh, unscathed. And men, not women, men in 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 a little village um in india walk on coals to prove their purity and they have to walk really really slowly and i found that really strange and oh, it still happens that's so cool. those just two there are a mm-hmm. lot more but i will so here's one of my very favorite ones in mexico there is um you know every culture has their curse words and their swear words in mexico there is a rhythm that is considered incredibly vulgar. And it's the rhythm of shaving a haircut. And I know now that I've said this, people are going to come up to me at events and signings and whatever and knock out shaving a haircut on the table. It's incredibly offensive, just the rhythm by itself. I've never encountered that anywhere else before, and it's fascinating to me. My favorite one, since we're going on these, is uh, penis gourds. 
Um, <laughs> if you're not aware of this, in some South American indigenous tribes, um, men will wear a gourd on the tip of their penis to be clothed. And to us, they just look naked. But to them, that is fully clothed. And if the gourd is off, then they are naked and it is taboo. But if the gourd is on, then they are not considered naked. And that I love this one because uh, what it really says is a lot of our taboos in cultures which are related to, uh, to mores are really social constructs, right? What we consider vulgar, obscene, or honorable, or mm-hmm. pure, or whatever is a social construct. And playing with these things in fantasy and science fiction books is one of my favorite things to do. We have, we have the same gourd here. It's in a different place. It's the open container law for drunk right. driving. Yeah. Is the top on the bottle? the top's not on the bottle, you're going to get a ticket because the bottle's naked. Yeah, well, and uh, a lot of states still have the uh, paper bag law with alcohol as well. That if you are walking down the street with a bottle of alcohol that everyone can see, then you get arrested. But if it's in a paper bag, even if we can see you drinking it, we know what's happening, it doesn't count. So how do we go about creating these in our stories. Why would we create these in our stories? How do we use them? Um, Truth is stranger than fiction. How do you convince people that these things are real? Uh, One of the most difficult places I've gotten myself in the most trouble with social mores was use of the word y'all in one of my (laughs) books um, because I found that there is regional variation in how y'all is used. Mm -hmm. And I used it a way that is the less widely used method And I have heard many, many times about how I got that wrong. Um, And it kicked people out of the story, even though it was right for that character. Um, How do you use these? I don't know. (laughs) The hardest hardest thing to do is to, uh, in your own life, uh, distinguish between the things that you have to do and the things that you don't have to do. Uh, you know, the uh, finding serial killers, finding patterns in what they do. What are the things that they did that didn't have to be done? Why did they do those things? Well, those are incredibly significant. Does the killer think about it? Well, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. What are the things in my life that I do that I don't have to, but I'm going to do it Anyway, um, I hadn't asked myself that question before right now, so I don't have an answer, <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a great question. I, I would I, say, for, mo- for the most part, um, unless you are writing a story that is very specifically sociological or anthropological, don't overdo this. Mm-hmm. Pick one or two things. Uh, for example, in the Stormlight Archive, the women have the safe hand that they always keep covered, and the women aren't... They don't eat spicy food. And that's those, those are the only two I can remember. I'm sure there might be a couple others. But you throw those in, and then the rest of the society is surprisingly familiar, but it feels very alien because the setting is different and because there's those two details that stand out as wonky. Um, the way I, I like to see it is customs are important because it shows you how that particular race or 
culture uh, behaves. But a great way to use this is give us the norm and then show us how it is broken. And this, mm-hmm. the example I want to sh- uh, share is not really a fantasy example, but it's done really well, which is Lord of the Flies by William Golding, which is where a group of boys uh, crash land on an island and all custom social mores just basically breaks down where the boys just forget about all um, laws of how to behave. And they're all kids. And there is complete lawlessness. There are two leaders that kind of uh, try and draw the boys to each other. So there are two groups. And their weapon of power on that island is one of the boys' glasses, because that's the only way they can create a fire. And it completely uh, breaks down where one of the boys is killed and everyone comes to their senses when when you know a patrol ship comes looking for them and they're rescued and everyone kind of comes back down to earth but it's a fabulous example of when there is no when when uh, social customs and mores breaks down you could have a fabulous story mm-hmm. and he, lord of the flies by william golding he, he's expressed it really well so the point i was trying to make is find one or two customs Show us what the norm is and then break it completely. And that'll give you so much of your story. And showing characters break it and then the reactions of other characters can lend it a lot of gravity. And so, like, we don't necessarily understand why they have to do this one particular thing in their society. But as soon as we see the horror in everyone else's mm-hmm. eyes, oh, now I, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily feel that that's important, but I can tell that it is. You know, you bring up the, the safe hand in the Stormlight books. Uh, one of the more common questions I get asked is, what's the deal with that safe hand? Why do they have that safe hand? Uh, which, as a writer and um, having studied anthropology myself and things, um, that question always seems really weird to me as a writer mm-hmm. because um, it is expressed by the outsider looking at a culture saying, why are they so weird? It displays a shocking lack of self-awareness about the way that human beings work. Now, I understand Mm -hmm. why they do it, obviously. Um, I'm not saying that the readers are weird, but this is how we are as human beings. What other people do is strange, and what we do is normal. Um, We don't ask ourselves, why do we shake hands? Maybe someone does. Maybe someone, you know, I'm sure someone has traced back where it came from. I I can tell you. Yeah. Yeah? (laughs) Well, we shake hands because it is a way of signifying whether we do manual labor or not. Oh. And so it is a direct enforcement of the caste system. That's subconscious. Right. But that's kind of what we're doing is, hey, look how smooth my hand is. I'm mm-hmm. rich. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Um, but it's not important. But it's Come not. On, you, you touch my hand. I draw with it. <laughs> it is, but it isn't. Yeah. Right? Um, and... Um, because I do want to talk about creating these things and having purpose behind them. But one of the things to understand is to the characters in your stories, to the vast majority of them, there's not a why. Exactly. The why is because it's the way it should be done. This is what's appropriate. Why do you wear this and, and someone else wears this? Well, um, in most cases, it's just this is what's familiar. This is what we wear. This is what's right to wear. Mm-hmm. Um, what's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Let's stop and do a book of the week. 
Um, so I'd like to recommend The Lie Tree by Frances Harding. She is a British writer, and this particular novel actually won the Costa Book Award in 2015. The premise is very intriguing. It's, um, you know, in, in her, in, so, so the name, um, the protagonist is a female. Her name is Faith Sunderly. She's a 14-year-old girl. And um, what the, the premise of the novel is that in trying to discover who murdered her father, um, she discovers that he was trying to shield a fossil, a, a tree that feeds off lies. And then the fruit that it bears actually gives the person the truth. And so she, you know, so it's basically whispered lies. Those lies are spread throughout a certain community and the tree bears certain fruit. Um, the language of this story, uh, her language is just absolutely exquisite. Um, so it's kind of a part horror, part detective, part historical novel, and you should all go read it. I, I like Excellent. The, I like the conceit and I want one. <laughs> so going back to this idea of uh, customs and mores, um, Stormlight Archive, why do I do what I do? As a writer, I can say why I do what I do. Uh, mm -hmm. Why did I come up with the safe hand? I wanted to indicate this is a stratified society, a deeply sexist society, um, and I wanted to have social constraints that that readers from our world reading it would be like, wow, that is too constraining. Um, the uh, flip side of that is men aren't allowed to read, right? Mm -hmm. uh, men don't read, um, and um, there are these like these restrictions that I knew my readers would read and just bash their heads against. Um, the purpose of that is to indicate it's a different culture. It's an alien foreign culture. It's also a very constrained culture in a lot of ways. Um, and I wanted the reader to feel those mm -hmm. things. Well, and one of the values of doing that in a weird way is that it forces readers who live in patriarchal or sexist societies to confront it without it just without being comfortable with it. Right. You know, there's a lot of the sexist things that we do in our society that get carried over accidentally into fantasy, and a lot of people don't think about them when they read them. So a custom like the safe hand is weird and it is shocking, and it forces us to go, oh, okay, that that's different. And now I see what I wasn't seeing otherwise. Why else do you use these in your stories? What purposes do you have for them? Uh, how do they enhance your stories? The piece I'm working on now, um, the protagonist is an AI who uh, desperately wants to be able to understand everything that's going on around her. Um, she manifests as, as female, um, and there are aliens everywhere. Um, when she is talking with aliens, uh, when she is communicating with them, she is observing everything, the body language, she's listening to what they're saying, and some of it she can interpret and some of it she can't, and some of it she will get wrong. There's a fight scene that I've written and somebody comes down and breaks up the fight. Fight started because she didn't want the bird with the long tongue to lick her. And the person who breaks up the fight says, if you want the licky birds to not lick you, ask them, don't touch their tongue. And... Uh, and I loved that moment because it, it inverts our idea of personal space. Well, of course you're not going to lick me. And if you're going to lick me, I'm going to slap your tongue out of it. No, you have to ask in order to not be licked by the licky birds. Um, also, the word licky bird is just inherently funny. And having it <laughs> delivered in that way told a nice joke. 
Um, but it allowed me to explore, you know, the inverse of this concept of personal space uh, in a culture that has lots of aliens in it who are struggling to figure out each other's cultures in order to live together comfortably. Matab, you wrote an entire book about the cultural differences between mm-hmm. India and America. Um, why were you doing it the way you did, and what did you gain from it in the storytelling? Well, for one, I wanted to showcase India, but from a totally different point of view. So the point of view from for this particular book, Mission Mumbai, is from um, the American's point of view. And for him, it is a huge cultural shock because he's never been there before. Now, had I made that point of view from the Indian boy, half the jokes would not have worked, half the plot points would not have worked. And just basically showcasing it from someone else, his point of view, who's never been exposed to it, it helped me set up a lot of, um, as I said, humor, a lot of plot points, um, a a lot of, uh, uh, you know, showcasing the Indian culture as well, and an appreciation by a person who is non-Indian. Because... uh, there's also a lot of stereotyping as far as a certain place is concerned, and that's perpetuated by movies. You know, you see certain movies on India and you just think, okay, so there's a lot of poverty. Uh, people don't speak English out there. You know, when I first came to Canada, often I was asked the question, how is it that you speak so, you know, English so well? And I just wanted to give them the matrix answer. You know, when I came in at the immigration, <laughs> they asked me English or French, and I just downloaded English. So, uh, but so one of one of the reasons of using this uh, as a setting and having a totally different viewpoint talk about the culture was to not only showcase it show the weirdness of it but also use it as a good place of conflict and fun if you look at the difference between you walking through the house in the dark and your cat walking through the house in the dark the cat knows where everything is. A lot of things are taller than the cat. And the cat has a completely different perspective of that room. Your experience with the room is going to be banging your shins and tripping over the cat. And and both examples, you know, both points of view can tell you about the room. Um, The one that involves pain is often the more interesting one. Um, And it's also, to my mind, more quickly going to tell me where all the furniture is. Mm -hmm. My very favorite book series is the uh, Saxon Chronicles by Bernard Cornwell, and I talk about it all the time. One of the things he's doing in there is he's telling essentially a war story that takes place over decades and decades. The uh, Middle Saxon period, you know, this this portion is, is generational warfare, but by setting it up, I mean, and it's historical, but, you know, setting it up so that it is the Saxons versus the Danes, we get a distinct sense of who the cultures are. And so the way that the two armies fight is defined by their background and their culture. And the way that they maintain the territory that they win changes from culture to culture. And so you get bringing out all those cultural details adds so much flavor to what is otherwise just a war story that takes a really long time. Mahatab, mm-hmm. we have loved having you on the podcast. This is your last week with us. So um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've always loved writing excuses. So it's a pleasure to have shared. Wait, you've listened to us before? Ordinarily, we don't let fans <laughs> in the room. <laughs> I have not taken anything. But anyways, it's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. 
Uh, we are going to end with some homework from Howard. Yes, um, that that pause was me remembering what the homework is. Uh, take a culture, or take a culture, take a a a cultural quirk, a a moray, a, a something that is weird and preferably really annoying to you. Take that thing and extrapolate upon it. Build a build a whole set of of cultural isms, of mores, of behaviors that just bug you, but that are logically connected in a way that this culture makes sense. And your goal is to create a culture that is very different from anything you'd want to live in without creating a straw man. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 